According to the church calendar, today is Transfiguration Sunday. Kevin Van Hooser, theologian, claims that the Transfiguration provides program notes for understanding the whole narrative sweep of Scripture. Program notes for understanding the whole narrative sweep of Scripture. Contained within the event of the Transfiguration, he says, is the entire story of the Bible. And if that's true, then surely it's worth revisiting on an annual basis. The transfiguration of Christ marks a a turning point in his ministry. For years, he has been traveling around proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. But following the transfiguration, Jesus knowingly and intentionally begins a journey toward Jerusalem, a journey toward the cross. And so, fittingly, The church observes the transfiguration on the Sunday prior to the season of Lent because the season of Lent takes us on a journey to the cross. The season of Lent teaches us to carry our own crosses. So in terms of the Christian year, the transfiguration marks a turning point for us too. We too are preparing to embark on a journey toward the cross. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, the narrative invites us to to draw comparisons between Jesus and Moses. When Jesus is born, an evil king decrees that all the baby boys should be killed. And so his parents have to find a way to protect him. The same was true for Moses. Later on, Jesus travels from the land of Egypt to the land of Israel. The same was true of Moses. Jesus spends 40 days fasting in the wilderness before climbing a mountain to deliver the law of God. The same was true of Moses. Jesus is a prophet and miracle worker who leads the people of God out of bondage and into freedom. The same was true of Moses. According to Matthew, Jesus is the greater Moses. And so it's not an accident that Jesus meets with Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration. Verse 1, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. That's the Greek word for tabernacle, three tabernacles. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So, this Mount of Transfiguration is like Mount Sinai, which is why the Old Testament reading today came from Exodus 34. 24. Was it 24? 24. On Mount Sinai, Moses entered into the cloud of God's presence. He communed with him. He he heard his voice, and then he returned with a shining face. And, And these connections were not lost on Peter because he offers to build three tabernacles. And remember that the first tabernacle back in the book of Exodus was built at the base of Mount Sinai according to the instructions God gave to Moses. And so Peter understands the significance of this moment. 
It's pretty common for us to operate uh, from the assumption that Peter is just a big dunce, right? He doesn't get it. He's always confused. He's always putting his foot in his mouth. But, but I don't think that's fair to Peter, and I don't think that's fair to the Scriptures. Here in Matthew 17, Peter is tracking with everything that's happening. He sees the shining face. He knows the identity of these two men. He enters into the cloud. He hears the voice of God, and he wants to stay there. You would want to stay there too. Now, the, this connection to Moses helps to clarify something else for us. And it's, it's the shining face. Why, why does the face of Jesus shine? We may be tempted to believe that it's the divinity of Jesus. The divinity of Jesus is somehow seeping through his face as though the God inside this human shell is, is overflowing and breaking out. But, but the face of Jesus shines because he is a glorified human not because he is God. He is God, but that's not why his face is shining. After all, in, in the book of Exodus, the face of Moses would shine, and he wasn't God. He wasn't divine. And the gospel of Luke, this story in the gospel of Luke even indicates that Moses and Elijah were also shining on the Mount of Transfiguration. So the shining has nothing to do with divinity. Jesus and Moses and Elijah are revealing the destiny of humanity to be conformed to the glory of God and to be filled with the glory of God. To be human is a glorious thing. It's not a dirty thing. It's not an inherently sinful thing. When we fall on our faces before the throne of God, it's not because we are human. It's because we are sinners. So Jesus and Moses and Elijah are showing us what humans are really like. They are revealing the true nature of our humanity. And were it not for our sin, we would shine like them. And that is why we kneel to confess every Sunday. That is why we observe things like the season of Lent. Not because we're scum, but because we are glorious beings and we desire to shine. God is glorious, and He makes glorious things. You see, the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, glory is not a zero-sum game. Glory is an infinite-sum game. I spent some time on a submarine in the Navy, and the men on board would would joke that as soon as that hatch closes, there is a finite amount of happiness on board. And the only way to get more happiness is by taking it from someone else. As you can imagine, that makes for a very healthy environment. But that is not what the kingdom of God is like. God does not compete with us for glory. He is actually more glorified when we are glorified. The more glorious he makes us, the more glory we can give to him. The Father does not take glory from the Son and Spirit. The Son does not take glory from the Father and Spirit. The Spirit does not take glory from the Father and the Son. Their glory is infinite precisely because they are constantly giving it away. 
When we treat glory as a zero-sum game, we become less glorious. We see this when, when siblings compete for the approval of their parents, as though there's only so much a- approval to go around. We see this when parents demand due honor from their children by dishonoring their children, by putting them in their place. We see this when husbands believe that in order to be honored and respected, they have to humiliate or even abuse their wives. We see this when wives believe that in order to be loved and cherished by their husbands, they have to rule over their husbands. We see this when employees seek to climb the corporate ladder by tearing down and belittling their coworkers. In the kingdom of God, Glory is an infinite sum game. So if you want it, you start by giving it away. That's the sort of household people want to belong to. That's the sort of workplace people want to belong to. That's the sort of church community that people want to belong to. There's plenty of glory to go around. So, like the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, we are right to fall on our faces in the presence of the Lord. But like the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us in our shame. He doesn't say, yeah, get down in the dirt where you belong. Doesn't sound like Jesus. He invites us to, quote, rise and have no fear. Why? Because we were not created to fall on the ground in the presence of God. We were created to stand in the presence of God. We were not created to shy away from His glory. We were created to share in His glory. Verse 6. When the disciples heard the voice from the cloud, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. If you read through the Gospel of Matthew, you may notice that Jesus seems to grow increasingly preoccupied with his death. He's been preaching the gospel and healing diseases and exercising demons, and then all of a sudden he starts talking about needing to die. And you can imagine how confusing that must have been for the disciples. Jesus is a brilliant communicator, Jesus has miraculous powers, Jesus is being followed by crowds of people. So, why is he being such a downer? Earlier, I made the point that. Jesus shines on the Mount of Transfiguration not because he is divine, but because he is fully human. He's a true human. So that is where the glory of his humanity is revealed. Where is the glory of his divinity revealed? Interestingly, paradoxically, the authors of the New Testament seem to think that the divinity The glory of his divinity is revealed on the cross. 
So on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration, we get to see the full humanity of Christ. But in order to see the full divinity of Christ, we have to follow him to the cross. Here on, on this mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is revealed in glory. But there, on that hill, he is revealed in shame. Here, the face of Jesus shines, and there, the face of Jesus is marred by sweat and blood. Here, his clothes are a brilliant white, and there, his clothes are stripped off and gambled over. Here, he is flanked by Moses and Elijah, and there, he is flanked by two criminals. Here, a bright cloud descends, and there, a dark cloud covers the land. Here, Peter is quick to be of service, and there, Peter is denying Christ and hiding in fear. Here, a voice from heaven speaks the Father's love, and there, the Son is forsaken. Such was the revelation of the divinity of Christ. And as his followers, I think we have to reckon with that. We want the way of Christ to be the way of teachings and healings and exorcisms, large crowds and shining faces. That's what we want. But the way of Christ is the way of the cross. Every Sunday, we, we climb this Mount of Transfiguration, so to speak. We come here to be with Jesus. We come here to see Him in His glory, to hear a word from heaven. But God does not permit us to stay here. Because the goal is not to get to heaven. The goal is to heavenize the earth. We don't get to stay on the mountaintop. That was Peter's mistake. That was Peter's mistake. We don't get to stay on the mountaintop. Having met with us here, God sends us back down. And as soon as, we, as soon as we walk out of those doors, or maybe come Monday morning, we are once again faced with the pain and brokenness of life in this world. Moses descended the mountain to find faithless people worshiping a golden calf. And Jesus if we were to keep reading, Jesus descends this mountain to find faithless disciples and a demon-possessed boy. For you, when you descend this mountain, maybe you have to face a difficult marriage or a difficult parenting situation or a difficult teacher or classmate or a difficult working environment, or a difficult chronic illness, or just the difficult tedium of everyday life. You don't get to stay on the mountaintop. What's happening at Asbury is wonderful. They're not going to get to stay on the mountaintop. As followers of Christ, we are on a journey to the cross. We are following the way of Christ in a broken world. 
But remember, Jesus was never more divine, never more victorious, never more of a conqueror than when he was being attacked and abandoned and assaulted and crucified by the world. And so you can face Monday morning in faith because every difficult thing in your life is bringing you into conformity with the glory of Christ. Every difficult thing in your life is taking you from one degree of glory to the next. Pray with me. Heavenly, Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you do not hoard your glory. You give it away. You delight to glorify even us. Jesus, we, we desire to shine with the full glory of our humanity. Lead us and be with us on this journey to the cross. Holy Spirit, fill us with your power, with your glory. Teach us and, and reveal, a, reveal to us the, the true nature of our humanity. Help us to accept our trials and to accept our pain with joy and thanksgiving, trusting that you are transfiguring us through them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.